That was your, uh, oh, I just saw you a couple days ago. Yeah. But I, I, I'll still tell you it for the podcast, people. It's uh, It's been relaxing. I've been playing a lot of Battlefield 1. Yeah, I saw a commercial for it. It uh, looks kind of exciting. It is exciting. Are, are you, do you get, which country are you playing? Well, what side are you on? Well, I'm just doing multiplayer, so they put you on whatever side, like your teams are. You could be, you could be Germany, you could be Austria, Hungary, you could be you Germany, really. You could be, yeah. Well, I mean, in World War One, I'll fly on the Western Front version. In in World War One, there's enough moral ambiguity where you can feel okay about playing as Germany. Mm. I mean, because it's hard to say who the bad guy is in World War One. In World War Two, they. It was a little more clear cut. It's a lot more clear cut. But, yeah, yeah, well, that's why. That's like, why the new Wonder Wo- Wonder Woman film is not going to be good. Really? Yes, because Wonder Woman her origins are in World War Two, but for some reason they've decided to move it to World War One. I'm curious why they did that, but they've taken all the sort of moral clarity out of that situation. I mean, do we know that for sure though? It, but we don't know what the but, story is. But here's the thing: think about World War Two. Like, give me, like, a rough sketch of what World War II is about. Uh, Adolf Hitler wants to take over the world, and he teams up with the Japanese, and and Mussolini gets in there, too. Right. Now, tell me, give me a rough sketch of World War I. Uh, a duke was assassinated, and then everybody got into it. (laughs) You see what I mean? They've taken a very clear setting, World War II, which lots of people are familiar with, and they moved it instead to World War One, hmm. a war not a lot of people are familiar with, which is over a hundred years old. See, now. I don't know enough. And, of, I don't know enough about what Wonder Woman's going to be about to make that decision. But here, but we've and okay, maybe there's a lot more to it because they might they, they might have some made up villain. I don't know. But already like, they've bled Brawl instead al- of Red Skull. But already they've made a very questionable decision that has to do with the setting. Yeah, that is different. I don't and know if there's a that does not bode well. Hmm. And considering DC's repu- the, D- the reputation of DC <sighs> properties, yeah. Wonder Woman's going to make money, but it's not going to make a ton of money, and it's not going to be a very good film. That's my forecast for 2017. Okay. Uh, well, all because if- of World War One. Damn you, Archduke Ferdinand, Gavrilo Princip. The only thing you're good for was. Giving a name to Franz Ferdinand. Yeah. <laughs> also setting the stage for a much more exciting war in the future. Oh, uh, well, exciting and still tragic in some ways. But uh, actually, that seems like a good place to start the podcast. Perfect. Welcome to Wages of Cinema. I'm Jack. I'm Andrew. And, uh... Your resident World War One enthusiast. Yes, and I hope you guys had a good holiday. Uh, I had a pretty good holiday. I got some good DVDs and Blu-rays and T-shirts and things that I wanted. You just got your Mystery Science Theater t-shirt from the Kickstarter. Yeah, that that's pretty cool. Yeah, the Kickstarter, we talked about this over a year ago, but the Kickstarter went through. They financed a whole new season. Yes. I'm getting the Blu-rays of that season when it's finally done, mm-hmm. so I'm awesome. <laughs> yes, well, I guess you're more awesome than me because I, I don't think I contributed that much. I haven't gotten my t-shirt yet, though. Ah, so I'm better than you. <laughs> <laughs> But no. you you have Netflix, so you're going to see them anyway. Yeah, I mean, I probably could have invited you over if you want to watch them there. Yeah, um, but I but I want to just rub it in your face. That's fine. Uh, so something I want literally, to... I want to take the Blu-ray and just 
stick it in your face like like this. Blu-ray. I'm blind. No, the HD is killing my solar That's it. plexus. Eat it. Go blind. <laughs> All right. Um, something I wanted to bring up because we we just did uh, a couple weeks ago a review of Rogue One, right. which is still number one movie in America. Uh, it's been number one every day since it came out because uh, people just they, they don't care about whether the quality is good or not. They just want to see Star Wars. I hear a lot of people on the internet really like Rogue One. Yeah, uh, they, they you... seem to be like in my Facebook feed. More there are a few people who are saying eh, it was just okay. Eh, it wasn't very good. Most of them though are like, "Wow, this is the best one since Empire." Yeah, which is not true. No, it's not. Uh... Like, cause I, I, we, we're, we're going to be pretty smug about this. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I, in the review, I was pretty clear. I think I liked Rogue One a little bit more than you did. Uh, although yeah. I still had issues with it, mm-hmm. but I think that the more I think about it, my main issue with it is just terrifying me more and more, which is just what they did to Peter Cushing and what that pretends in the you, future. You are really hung up on this resurrection. I am. I am. I am really pissed off about it because <laughs> It, they could have easily just got another actor who looked like Peter Cushing and talked like Peter Cushing. I mean, there are so many actors in the world. And, or they could have just done a thing where maybe instead of him being in the actual room, like maybe they had, maybe they could have him on a hologram or something. Mm. And, uh, you know, cause he's not that important to the story. He's in no. the Death Star. He talks a little bit with that Ben Mendelsohn character, but... He's not that important. It really is there in part for fan service because, like, oh, my God, Grandma of Tarkin. Whoever was, whoever's like that. My favorite character from A New Hope. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he's just there, but it's also just... And then they do the same thing to Carrie Fisher near the end, which, you know, maybe that could they could have got away with it if they just... They didn't lay... They they laid on the shot for too long. They did, um, but it does seem like that a lot a, a lot of th- these cameos were kind of they hold they hold they hold on to them for a long time, basically to show off the fact that they've done it. Yeah, yeah. The, Which the, I don't necessarily mind. I actually think that well, the guy who made this movie, Garrett Edwards, he starred in visual effects, so there's probably a part of him that. You know, it's like, I want to show off the... He certainly didn't start in storytelling. No! (laughs) Actually, I found this out, an interesting factoid about this movie. Uh, Thanks to Half in the Bag, uh, the series for doing this. The person who actually pitched the the story for Rogue One, um, and actually I guess he's credited with the story by in the movie. Right. He started out at Lucasfilm as a visual effects supervisor. Like, he, you could see him, like, on a documentary for episode two. Uh, he was, like, playing, he's like a guy on a couch with George Lucas, like, oh, here's how we're doing Yoda, and blah, 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 blah. He's really easy to miss because no one's watching this, the special features. <laughs> no one's watching the special features for episode two. Except me, I guess. Um, but he also, apparently, he's, like, a real visual effects per- whiz or something. Like, he, like, apparently him and his brother created Photoshop. Wow. Yeah. So that was kind of impressive. I didn't know about that. And then I guess he parlayed that into getting a career at Lucasfilm, 
So a guy who's it's, it's, in it's, charge it's, of the computers, he's a visual effects supervisor, is the one that came up with the story, quote unquote, for Rogue One. Well, I got to give him credit. I mean, he's certainly come far. Sure. So, you know, no matter what I say about him in this podcast. Hey, he, he wins at life. He, he got, wins. <laughs> he got to write a story for a Star Wars movie. But, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, no, it's just, I, I really dread the fact that, you know, what? all right, we have movies that obviously for a long time have used visual effects, used matte paintings, now use CGI backdrops. Uh, sometimes they're better than others. Right. Uh, again, I look at episode two. Not as good, but um, episode but two now, is the but worst you, of all the Star Wars films. It's per, it's not very good. No, um, but at least, but you need to have some human faces to look at, and looking at Peter Cushing, I was both impressed and kind of mortified because I was impressed by how well they did it, but that actually made my revulsion a little bit stronger. Because that's, it, that's that's the uncanny valley. The uncanny valley, yeah, where you're supposed to look at something, and you know, the Polar Express is the is the poster child for it. We've come a long way since the Polar Express, though. I mean, the it, Polar no, Express no, it has is. its problems. It is, and you know, and for what it was at the time, pretty good. It's aged. Uh, oh, I wouldn't watch Polar Express again. Uh, it's there are certain things about it that have not aged it well. Doesn't Aerosmith pop up in that movie? Yes. <laughs> There's Steven Tyler sings a Christmas song in the movie. Uh, it's so weird. But um but I just I really don't like that it this could mean that in the future we're going to get movies that like what we'll, we're going to get a movie that features young Mark Hamill, young Harrison Ford and young Carrie Fisher. He Mar, young Mark Hamill in any computer generated future version cannot look worse than Mark Hamill in the Star Wars holiday special. Uh, you mean where he looks, that's, like, that's you mean like, where he looks like a Ken doll? That's like my one condition. <laughs> I think we're okay right now from that. Uh, so, so what you're saying is basically this sets up a sort of pillage of Star Wars. It's a potential pillage. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the fact that, like, you know, we're getting a young Han Solo movie you know, and that it might be very entertaining. I'm looking forward to it just because it's directed by uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of theirs, but at the same time, it's like an actor can't become famous anymore. It's all about the character. It's all about that brand of the character. That is troubling. You know, the it, fact that it like it, it doesn't matter really who you put in the role. Like we get, it's a pretty good actor who's going to be playing the young Han Solo in that movie. This guy Alden Ehrenreich. Um, he, he popped up in a movie I talked about the last podcast, Rules Don't Apply. He right. was also in Hail Caesar. Um, and then also a young Lando Calrissian will be in that movie. It used to just, it used to be more about, wow, this actor is so great. You know, Harrison Ford is Han Solo. But now, no, we can just replace him. Hmm. There's no real fidelity as far as that goes. Well. I don't know if I was that, getting off track with that. That is a worst case scenario. Although I do think that you're... It's always I a think, thing with Hollywood, though. That it's, it's the kind of thing of just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. You, you do have a legitimate uh, complaint here. But we do have to wait and see. Yeah. Uh, Was there something you wanted to talk about with Rogue I, One? Well, not so much. I think I've said everything I need to okay. say about Rogue One. Uh, but to stay on this idea of 
getting characters to uh, uh, taking the likenesses of actors. I'm just I'm gonna go the other way and say how this could be good. Okay. Imagine like a movie that you would write and then put your dream cast in it, whether they're living or dead. <sighs> I I don't know though. It just something about that feels a little ghoulish. It's like the we we had those movies before. You're talking about what if if I wanted to have a movie with Humphrey Bogart and Peter Lorre or and something Jimmy, like that. And Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, like they lived in their particular time. They made their mark. They were human beings. But the thing is, you don't make photographed. It, you don't make it a live action movie. You make it an animated film, so nobody cares how uncanny they look. Uh, well, that's you know you do make a good point because I don't know if this could lead into. Well, it depends on who you get. You mean like people who would be impersonating them? Well, you. What I. I mean. You, you have a movie. You, do, you have Casablanca 2. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe that's not such a good idea. <laughs> but, like, you're, you're, but I, you're saying having an animated movie with kind of like. If we wanted to. Ha- if I wanted to have Humphrey Bogart or Lauren Bacall or. Uh, or Sydney Greenstreet or people like that in my movie. Yeah. I could do it. Yeah. And then you get someone to do the voice who can do the impression. Uh, because there are a lot of good voice actors out there. I mean, that it's not unprecedented, I guess. I mean, I don't know. It's just... Well, that's what we got with Rogue One. I guess the question is, how necessary is it, too? In Rogue One, it was not necessary. No. Even though I do say that... That... Our fake Peter Cushing had some had real presence. He did just because he put a lot of work into that cameo and the appearance of that character. I mean, they didn't just like he's not all just a computer. He is also a performance by an actor. Well, yeah, the actor was was there on set. This who was on the set and who did the voice. Yeah, who looked kind of like Peter Cushing, and they really put a lot of craftsmanship into it. Is this the best application we could have of it? No. But there is certainly room for growth. Hmm. But you're but you're talking you about you could have your terrible day. future. Yours is a possibility. Yeah. But I think also there are a lot of positives to this. Hmm. In my own ghoulish imagination. <laughs> I just like that. There word, is something we, there is something we can salvage from that. Yeah. So we could have a movie with Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, Vincent Price. Sure. Uh, I who wouldn't give anything to have another Christopher Lee movie. But the thing is, though, I would just in my I would just kind of know that it's not Christopher Lee, though, that I'm hearing. He has such a distinctive voice. Same with Alan Rickman. Yeah, good point. Or so, I don't know. Uh, well, so anyway, what I wanted to mention, though, because you were just talking about uh, that having voice actors return iconic roles. We just watched uh, a Batman animated movie. Oh yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, it was Batman: Return of the Cape Crusaders. Yeah, this is a DC animated movie. DC has turned out animated films of varying quality. A, well, a usually lot of the, they're good. Yeah, a lot. Uh, they they tend to be on the good side. Yeah. Uh, I've seen. It's interesting because this is the second DC animated Batman movie I've seen this year, and the one that I saw earlier this year that should have been really great, The Killing Joke, was not. Yeah. It was a letdown. Uh, but, but this was really fantastic. There are pa- there are past DC movies I've seen. Uh, All Star Superman was one that I really loved. That was that was really good. And well, Flash from good and Flashpoint still haunts my memories. <laughs> yeah. 
that maybe, was a good one. Maybe in a good way. I'm not sure. Yeah. There's still some the, depressing uni- things in that. The unique thing with this was that they, we got a Batman movie with Adam West and Burt Ward as Batman and Robin. And Julie Newmar as And Julie Catwoman. Newmar as Catwoman for the first time in 50 years. Yeah. That is incredible. That is pretty awesome. Yeah, and it really stuck true to the spirit of uh, the Batman TV series in that movie, which it's incredibly campy and silly. Yeah. But it's also, in its way, I find kind of sophisticated in its silliness. It, it it doesn't just have a lot of references to to Batman in pop culture. Yeah, it 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 is just like generally well written. Yeah, and it's funny. It, it embraces things like puns and uh, alliterative names, <laughs> and using holy smoke, not holy smoke, you know, holy blank. Yeah. in creative ways and. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember one of the good ones. I always think back to the Batman movie, the the one from the 60s, mm. where they're getting, like, the shark is fighting Batman. I haven't <laughs> seen that movie. Ooh! I should, uh... I've seen a part of it. I saw the part where Batman had the bomb. Of course. And he's trying to get rid of it, and it's like, oh, there's a Salvation Army band. It's like, oh, there's, there's a group of children. Oh, there are nuns. And that was... A genuinely funny moment. <laughs> yes, because he keeps on trying to get rid of this bomb, and he keeps on running into things and people that he just can't throw it. And, it's... and he actually turns to the camera and goes, some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. Yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting, because that ended up being the climax of Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> Dark Knight Rises. But it was refreshing to me to see this because we've just, you know, I love Batman, but at the same time, I'm aware that it, you can only take the dark Batman stuff too far. I'm kind of weary of the sort of cult of Batman that we've got in part I kind of am. It's a shame because Batman was what kind of got me back into comics uh, about 10 years ago. You mean uh, like uh, the Christopher Nolan films? No, well, the, the, well, actually, not even the Dark Knight. The first Batman Begins did, and then that led me to wanting to check out Batman Year One and some of the hmm. the, the kind of famous Batman comics from the eighties and nineties, and uh, and then that led me to reading other, you know, all, a lot of other different kinds of comics. Uh, but at the same time, it also alerted me to the fact that uh, since Frank Miller's version of Batman. With maybe a few very tiny varying degrees, Batman hasn't really changed that much. So it was kind of refreshing in a way to, ironically, the reason that we Batman went dark was because it had that public image of being too campy and light and silly. But now we finally come back around and having that 60s Batman is kind of nice again. Yeah, it's it, it's 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 a matter of timing because we also do have Lego Batman coming out. Oh yeah, Which yeah. I'm really looking forward to because, as I've said... I just want to see a funny Batman movie. Well, yeah. Well, that was the thing with Return of the Cape Crusaders. It was genuinely funny. Yeah. I mean, granted, yeah, it had a pretty stupid plot. You have, like, Batman... Actually, it had a pretty decent plot. I no, mean, no, it's, no, it's it pretty, did. It's it, pretty, it, was, it was kind of... It's a really flamboyant... Uh, it's not <laughs> something we haven't seen before, per se, but it was executed well. Yes, it was well executed. Yeah. I would say the problem is that the third act is kind of underwhelming. I mean, yeah, once bit. once you get to the end of the second act, like I know you felt like the movie went too long. No, it didn't go too long. It's just that 
it could have ended at a really good point, uh, but then they decided to wrap up all the loose ends, uh, which which they didn't really need to because after you fight an army full of evil Batman, <laughs> where do you go from there? Yeah, point. your best bet is basically to stop the film and it's like, all right, we're done. What made what kind of redeemed it was just having that moment where yeah, they defeat the evil Batman. And then Batman has that moment where he figures everything out. Right. And that was a thing that they used to do on the show, and it was also in the movie. And I just kind of love seeing that, because it's just so deliberate. Uh, Watching this reminded me that I think one of the reasons why I loved the Ninja Turtles cartoon when I was a kid was I feel like it took influence from Batman. It had a little bit of that tone, I think, watching it. Uh, As far as like having really silly villains and... It's just like, this is the kind of Batman movie where, again, if you're looking for, you know, swear to me, <laughs> it's not that. This is more like, they they go up to this food factory, and it actually says outside on the sign, abandoned food factory. Yes. <laughs> uh, they, they really applied the campiness very well in this film. Yeah. And, uh, it's a smart campiness. Yes. That's the way that I would put it. It's judicious use of camp. Yes. A lot of camp, but they use it judiciously. Yeah. So if you actually so if you do appreciate or like that version of Batman, then you will like this movie and I recommend it. And if you're willing to just try something new, then go ahead. Yeah, again, this is the fourth Batman movie. No, not fourth Batman movie, but this is the fourth movie with Batman I've seen this year and it's easily the most entertaining. What were the other three? Batman v Superman. Right. Batman the Killing Joke, and Suicide Squad. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I know he pops up only for a couple minutes, but I still count that. All right. Um, now, I just wanted to mention briefly, I watched a couple of films uh, since the last time we talked that you've talked about, and I just wanted to oh, mention good. briefly. Yeah, which I, I finally got around to. Now um, we, we can have a conversation. Yeah. How about that? This is the look best. At what, look what a podcast can do. Happy Hanukkah, everyone. <laughs> Yes. Um, I, watched... I do mean everyone. Yeah, even if you're not Jewish. Uh, just embrace the myth of the Maccabees. Um, <laughs> that's that's a that's a talk for another time. I yeah, probably have a lot definitely. Yes. Um, I watched Intolerance. Good. Yeah. Did you have one with a very good score? I think it was a good score. It was a... It was a pr- I think it was a remastered version. It wasn't on Blu-ray, but it was from one of the... I guess Kino did a, diff- a new version. Kino can be spotty, but they, they yeah, they, 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 they different, do some good work. There are a few versions of Intolerance, which is why I I think I tried to watch it years ago. They had a copy on Netflix, yeah. and it was one of those copies that was really rough. So I just put it off for a while. I actually saw a part of Intolerance on TV recently. Yeah. And the score was wholly inadequate mm-hmm. to the images they were showing. I remember feeling really excited during that big battle scene. And I was watching that battle scene. And then the music just really brought it down. Mm. In terms of excitement. In terms of, you know, epicness. Yeah. I, I, I You don't know how much this makes a difference. But if there's like a silent film you've seen that you haven't loved... When everyone's like, oh, this is the best thing. It may be just because of the musical score. Yeah. I think what, enga- what I found remarkable to me was I, I engaged in intolerance almost like I would a modern movie. Okay. Because of the way that it's cut together. Because um, sometimes when I watch sound movies, I try to take it more about the context of when it was made. You know, as far as that the director and the crew and the actors, they 
they they they were working with storytelling that was completely new, but they were still trying to figure it out. And so sometimes scenarios were a little rougher. And right, you can give them a little. Rays. You can give them a little leeway. Yeah, intolerance though, like that first half hour, they unload all four of those scenarios, and you have to kind of pay attention. Um, so it was very sophisticated. Yeah, in its storytelling. Um, I mean, there aren't things that doesn't say there are certain little things that are dated. Uh, there are certain things like there are some beats that come off as a little sexist, uh, to me. Like there was one of the intertitles actually says when women are no longer able to attract men, they turn to reform as oh, a second option. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> that was in the modern times story, yeah, by the way. That is. <laughs> now that I think about it. Yeah. That is really sexist. <laughs> and I remember thinking that at the time that I saw it. Yeah. Now, Although he is trying to make a point, the point that Griffith is trying to make in that thing is that these women who are reformers, mm-hmm. they don't come off as heroes in the film. They come off as really interlopers and busybodies and people who are really trying to enforce their beliefs on other people. So he doesn't look on them very favorably. Yeah, it is a very sexist thing to say. Yeah, that would never fly th- these days. No, it uh, doesn't. But I... it, it is. In that sense, you do have to put it in context. A little bit. Uh, A little bit. Now, I would also say that... But at least it's not men in blackface. No. Uh. No, 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 no. No, this is... Not only is it obviously far less offensive than Birth of a Nation, it's just a better made movie to me. Yeah. Um, One little flaw I had with it, I do think that Griffith kind of uh, preferred, obviously, kind of... A, you know, two of the stories to the rest of them. Yes. I mean, he really much... To him, the movie's really about the modern time story and the story set in uh, Babylon. Babylon. Like, You're right. Because he does have... Because then there are two other stories. One is set in France in the 16th century, I think. Yeah. And then he has the story of Jesus. I If I was making... The, again, I wasn't going to... I can't tell Griffith what to do. He's dead. But... Uh, <laughs> but we can bring him back to life with special effects. <laughs> See that's what's this next. Movie first we resurrect by the first they re- ghost. See, first we resurrect <laughs> actors. Now we resurrect directors. This is brilliant. Yeah, we should work on that. Uh, <laughs> resurrected directors, the new series by Jack and Andrew. Um, oh, nice. No, but uh, I, the Jesus story, just I, I would have cut that out. I think it fits in because they're talking about thing. It, it gels a little more with the modern story. Because mm. it is about no, I get thematically who... what it's supposed to mean. It's just that in terms of the structure and how the pacing worked, I I wanted to see more of the French sequences, and I feel like that didn't really get as much time. Mm. Well, those two like those two sequences do get very little, yeah, play. Uh, but ultimately, I don't. Th- I think build in a in a film this long. I think you can afford to really build on the theme, and yeah. all four of those stories really do feed off of one each other, one another. Yeah, no, no, they they ultimately do. I just, you know, it, it's just that there's so much time spent on those the modern story and the Babylon story. Man, that one, the one actress in the Babylon story was so great. Yeah, the one who starts starts out as like the rag girl i believe that's lillian gish isn't it no that's a different actress lillian gish is in the movie somewhere but not in that she might have been the modern one yeah 
I but no, I, I really enjoyed the movie. I, I uh, it is a fantastic movie. Yeah, it, the great action scenes. Yeah, legitimately good action scenes. Not yes. even just for silent films. Yes, a guy gets his head cut off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that made me give have a double take. I, I was know. like, whoa, how'd they do that? Rarely, I mean, it starts off as like. When you see that scene and it eventually plays out, you have to realize that one of these actors has a fake head, which is being cut off. But when that scene starts, you have no idea. And then it yeah. just sneaks up on you. Yeah. Uh, As I said it before, I'll say it again. This is the film that D.W. Griffith deserves to be yes. known for. Yes, he does. Now, I mean, he ca- sometimes critics do lump the two together, Birth of a Nation and Intolerance. Yeah. But... But yeah, unfortunately, one of the movies was shown to President Wilson, and one of them wasn't. Yeah. So that ends up being the thing. The other movie I watched... I mean, Intolerance doesn't excuse Birth of a Nation. No, 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 it doesn't. But it... if you talk about really good movies... Yes. And the men who made them, Intolerance <laughs> and D.W. Griffith. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I watched was O.J. Made in America. Oh, I love this documentary. Oh, man. Did you ever catch up with the other parts? Because I, I went back I've watched and... all the parts. Oh, you did? Okay. Because back when we talked about this, and this goes back to either June or July, so if you guys, uh, if you wagers want to check out uh, our previous talk, you'll have to go back uh, back to June. Uh, I but, really... but when we talked about that, you had, had watched all the parts. I had hoped to see this with you, but times and life conspired to... Uh, Time was not on our side. To separate us. Yeah. Um, I, it, I mean, it's so, it's, it's so long and yet everything in it is so necessary. It's like every moment is worth it. Yeah. Uh, and it's basically your, you know, the question, it kind of, you have to think about every moment is worth it to, for the question about how to reconcile the fact that so many African Americans were so happy when Simpson was acquitted. Yeah. And so... The, the, the series spent so much time kind of setting up not just O.J. Simpson, but what was going on in L.A. and all that, all the racial unrest and all the problems that were happening with the police and the inner cities. Things I didn't even know about, like certain shootings and yeah. that whole story with the, the woman whose house was completely ransacked and demolished basically yeah, by during, the cops. during the police raids. Yeah. Um, and it may, it was just... You know, it's not even so much the central question. It's more about what do people really see in another person as far as an issue or a moment in the media. Because people just looked at Simpson, and he was just so charismatic when he was a younger guy. He was just, you know, everybody loved him. So it's like, how could he do this? What I think is really important, though, is this idea that we get a glimpse of O.J. Simpson as he was. Yes. And you understand... It's not just the story of a terrible crime. It is the it is the rise and fall of an American icon. Yeah, and you understand his fame and his appeal, and I don't know if you can feel sorry for him. But I think you can understand his story. Yeah, much you could better. You can understand the fact that you know here's a guy who even back in the '60s was kind of rejecting. Not, I mean, uh, not, I don't know if he was rejecting it so much that he was just like, ah, screw all that jazz. But he literally, even when he was in college, said, I'm not black, I'm OJ. Right. So when he said that, you know, if he were just, he, when he said that probably back when he was in the trial, you know, I'm not black, I'm OJ, that's how he's always felt. Right. He felt like he was just some other character, which 
in a way, it almost speaks to there might be a common kind of underlying unstated criticism about entertainment figures in general. The fact that we build up figures like OJ when you know they're, they're ultimately they're just playing a game. Yeah, you know, and they, he could do it well. He could really run well, but ultimately, does that excuse him? From being a terrible person with his wife and uh, well, no, absolutely no. not. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm not. But, but, no, no, but, but these questions but, are raised really well. But we really generally well. don't think about people in those. In we don't ask that question about a lot of people. Mm. And also, just how so many circumstances kind of came together. The fact that you know OJ was in L.A. and despite the fact that he lived in Brentwood. <laughs> Yeah. Because this happened in L.A., it became like this L.A. issue in a way. Also, the fact of the LAPD. You know, if this had happened in, I don't know, Seattle, you know, he might have gotten to prison. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, really well done. It, it I, Especially like the first part and the last part. Because I didn't really know too much about what happened to O.J. after the trial. Yeah. You know, and I, I told you about the fictional series, which I, I still highly recommend. Although this was a little bit better in some ways. Because, like, in the fictional FX TV series... You, you um, mean they the made, dramatization. Yeah, the dramatization that it's they did. It's not fiction. It's, it's, uh, a, it's a dramatization of real events. Yeah, yeah. Dramatiz- yeah, some people might call it fiction. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I don't call it that. No, the one with Cuba Gooding Jr. is OJ. Um, actually, the, the that show left out a couple little things that I wish they'd been there that the documentary went to like the fact that during the trial oj was very active in being part of his defense right even though he didn't have to be uh the the tv sh- the, the 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 dramatization made it seem like oj was kind of a buffoon hmm. um but no he was a lot more cunning than that and uh yeah just all the stuff with oj near the end where he became like a gangster rapper <laughs> god that was so sad. The ending is a very... so surreal. What all the stuff with the details about how he got involved it's, in that robbery? It's kind of like the end of of Goodfellas, where, uh, yeah. ev- where everything gets where every. Uh, I mean, imagine you're O.J. Simpson. You've been acquitted of murder, which was which could have been which should have been an, an open and shut case. I mean, and basically his reputation is in ruins. Yeah, even though he he got off. He couldn't live in Brentwood anymore. People, he, ironically, the people who were most supporting him—that wasn't his neighborhood. The people who were really yeah. out for him, you know, affluent white people, were like, "No, we don't like that you did this." But even his friends got a glimpse of all the things that he had done, and he had—he ends up because he was found guilty in civil court. He, no, it's not even like that. It's like all this stuff comes out during the trial. And then there's the guy. Remember the director friend of O.J. Simpson, yeah. who had worked with him on like Capricorn One. Yeah. And oh, yeah, Peter Himes. And you know he gets that he gets that bombshell of like he really thinks about the evidence and he's like, this is how it went down, and he sees O.J. one more time after the trial and then he never speaks to him again. Yeah. And you know and he's friendless. His reputation is in tatters. O.J. Simpson and. Where does he go? He basically just begins this race to the bottom. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, because he couldn't pay the 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 settlement costs. Yeah, and th- there's the settlement, and he's hiding all his stuff, and then the stupid robbery that he does. <laughs> In some ways, it's extremely funny. 
it, it, it would yeah it's it's very funny it's, it's a farce yeah <laughs> oj's life becomes much so so farcical and surreal that at the end you're like what the hell is going on yeah <laughs> trying to and rob back his own memorabilia which wasn't even there <laughs> yeah amazing but yeah really well done documentary I almost question, though, like, th- there's some talk that this could be nominated for Best Documentary at the Oscars. It, it feels te- more like a TV series, though. It did technically get a premiere, so it so it probably... Technically, f- yeah. At film festivals. At, so it so it probably does qualify on technical But it also played on ESPN. Pro- That's how you saw it. Yeah. Uh, you might have not seen it otherwise. We gotta we gotta rein this in. Oh yeah yeah yeah. But Let's talk about OJ. Stuff. But OJ Simpson is a basically a ten dollar ten dollar no. It's a, <laughs> it's a ten dollar story and a five dollar hat. It's a ten hour documentary, five parts. Each yeah. part is worth seeing. Okay. See the whole thing. Right. It, it could make you angry, yes. but most of all, it will probably teach you a lot of important things. Right on. About life. Yes. And friendship. Um. Were there anything you watched recently? Like, I watched this a Wonderful Life again. I don't know if oh, there's anything else I can say about it. We kind of, we might have exhausted <laughs> what to talk about it, except uh, actually there was a funny little story just to share that uh, there is a little. I learned a little bit more about Jimmy Stewart as an actor, and what his his uh, acting assets really are. Uh, but I think I'm going to talk more about that when I talk about Vertigo. So okay, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, um, what. Uh, Oh, I, I actually, this is just a small thing. Uh, I had like a tiny argument with my wife, uh, Corey. Ooh, really? Well, no, it was because we had differing opinions about something that happened in history uh, 10 years ago where, like, I first watched It's a Wonderful Life 10 years ago okay. to the day of Christmas Eve 2006. She remembers it that we went to the theater to see it, but we did not. We saw it, I saw it at home. On tape, and we have this, like a... this is this is not the kind of <laughs> argument that I can settle. No, you can't. I just wanted to. It was kind of funny. It's like this is like the kind of thing that we had. Like I've had we, similar we, arguments we, we like had, that like, with other like people. A, we had like a it was like a Rashomon argument. Yeah, you know, <laughs> except you that movie Rashomon Homer. That's not how I remember it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's just a small thing. Um, I wanted to mention a few things that I watched recently. Um, both one of the best movies of the year and the worst movie of the year. I saw in one the same day. I saw Fences, um, new Denzel Washington movie with Val Davis. Uh, right. It's a drama based on a play by August Wilson. Uh, even it's though he... sword fighting. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Denzel and Viola, as you've always wanted to see them. Clang, 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 clang. It is. It's not easy for me to admit. I've been standing in the same place for 18 years. Clang, clang. Well, I've been standing with you. Clang, 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 clang. Um, that'll be. Two thumbs up. Yeah. Um, no, this is great. It was very intense. Um, it's a very, again, it's based on a play. So if you're not ready for certain scenes that kind of go on for a little bit. No, but this is, that's done as a movie, though. So it's okay for you. Hey, movies. I just thought how you immediately go from that. Ew, plays, movies, cool. Yeah. Um, but no, they're both tremendous in the movie. Denzel also directed it, and he does a really good job of not being too showy in his direction. He just lets scenes play out, 
he cuts when he has to as director and then uh but viola davis really runs away with it it's about this married couple uh in pittsburgh in the 50s denzel's a garbage man he used to have prospects to be a baseball player it didn't work out and now he's an extremely bitter alcoholic bragger and (laughs) kind of makes everybody's life miserable around him even though he has a lot of charisma and charm Right. So, in a way, it's kind of like, my nickname for it is Death of a Garbage Man. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, another play. Yeah. But, uh, speaking of big uh, stars, uh, Clarel Beauty was horrible. Uh, if anybody's heard of this movie, uh, it's not getting good, gotten good reviews anyway, but I was curious to check it out, in part because of that. It's not often you get a movie with so much talent that completely shit the bed. <laughs> A talent uh, bomb. Yeah, a giant, giant talent bomb. It's fascinating when these come out. No, wait like, a minute. I'm not sure if it's if, if it's a talent bomb. Yes, it's a talent bomb. The one that completely fails. It's the a ta- talent. It's, it's a talent bomb. Yeah, the talent grenade. <laughs> the talent grenade is the one is the movie with all sorts of talent that's good, but nobody notices. Like the Princess Bride. People notice that movie. Not at its release. Oh, oh! You mean after the fact when right. it becomes a cult? No, no, no. 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 This is Bride. a movie that cult. No, no, no. This will never be a cult movie. No, because it is absolutely terrible. It, um, in a way, oddly enough, because we're talking about Vertigo right now, it could have had. It almost has a slight Vertigo component to it because the trailer makes it look like it's a totally different movie. The trailer flat out lies. Ooh. And the flat just the like trailer Rogue also, One's trailer. Yeah, well. Well, the trailer makes it look like a bunch of sentimental crap. And the movie basically is that, but it's also much worse. What it's about is Will Smith uh, runs this ad agency with Edward Norton. And Will Smith's kid dies, or tragically. And he basically turns into like a walking zombie. Uh, (laughs) Walking zombie ad man coming soon. If he had actually been turned into like a voodoo zombie... This then that would have be been salvageable. great. Then it might have been fun. No, he basically just comes to work, sets up dominoes all day, and knocks them down, and then rides on his That's... bike really furiously in New York City. And so Edward like Norton, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. No, but much less interestingly. Uh, so Edward Norton and Kate Winslet, and also Michael Pena, who is an Ant Man, uh, they're his business partners, and they're really they don't know what to do because it's like, okay, your kid died, but it's years later. And we need to run our company. A lot of people are going to lose their jobs. So what happens is Will Smith is writing like these letters to death, love, and time, and you know abstract concepts. It's doing. He's doing it as like a, a coping mechanism. But what happens is so they his deci- pretentious coping. Mechanism. Yes. So what Edward Norton decides is okay. What if we hire actors to portray death, love, and time? And okay, have go them on. go up to Will Smith and have conversations with him as Death, Love, and Time. Like, they have the, you know, because they, they, a private eye, like, snuck out the letters from a mailbox. Okay, and... there are two ways this can work. <laughs> First, it's directed by Ingmar Bergman. <laughs> this is Second... like if Ingmar Bergman hit his head and went and directed a movie for Hallmark. <laughs> The second way it can work if it's if, if it's a black comedy. It could have worked if they had actually gone really dark with it. Yeah. But they didn't. Instead, it's supposed to be very uplifting and inspirational. And even though, basically, Edward Norton and Kate Winslet and Michael Pena are gaslighting 
their supposed friend and business partner, it, we're supposed to feel sorry for them because they're going through their things. Like, Edward Norton doesn't talk to his daughter. Brr. Kate Winslet has wants to get sperm so she can become pregnant. Brr. Brr. Michael Pena has cancer and he's not telling anyone. Brr. Brr. Uh, and, oh, I want to get in this even more spoilery than I am. I almost feel like I should let you see the movie, but on the other hand, I shouldn't. This because... sounds this sounds like fantastically bad. Film. Yeah, but I but it made me think of Vertigo in a way because what is Vertigo except it's about a guy who wants to kill his wife, so he hires a woman to play his wife so that he can kind of gaslight his friend into yeah. thinking that she's that she's you know possessed by a dead person. And then, you know, fake him out into being an alibi. Right. Um, so in a way, this concept could work. It's just executed in such a way that is horrible. It's so horrible. It's, like, easily one of the worst films of the decade. It sounds awful. Yeah. So I just got to warn everyone. Like, because the problem was, when we went to the theater, we were originally just going to see Fences. And, but it was sold out, and so you had people kind of wondering, oh, we're going to go see, we're going to go see. Oh, this Clarel Beauty's playing. All right, we'll go see that. <sighs> so, uh, oh, I also watched A Very Merry Christmas. So that was my Christmas watch. I had a couple of Christmas things I did. Uh, Very Merry Christmas is uh, with Bill Murray. Right. Not, not a different Murray. Um, it's not fun. Not Brian Doyle Murray? No, no. <laughs> Yeah, that's the that's the Murray brother that I I really like when I see him. It's like ah, oh, Brian Doyle Murray, good good voice actor. Yeah, is he a voice actor in things? Oh yeah, he was the Flying Dutchman in SpongeBob. He was Captain oh. Knuckles in the Marvelous Adventures of Flapjack. I never watched that. That was a good show. Uh, he, he pops up from time to time. Well, he was he actually popped. He was in Caddyshack. Right. I think he wrote Caddyshack too uh, as well. Uh, he's in Wayne's World. Um, he was in Groundhog Day. Okay. Well, Bill Murray was in Groundhog Day, too. Yeah. So that's he, good. he ends up in a lot of Bill Murray films. Yeah. The thing with Very Merry Christmas, I liked it more than maybe I would have if, like, because during the Christmas holiday, you end up hearing, like, so many Christmas songs. This season, I didn't. Huh. So, I, for some reason, I avoided most of them, or I just didn't hear a lot of them. So, this, the special is basically Bill Murray and other celebrities. Uh, the, the concept is, like, I'm, gonna, I'm Bill Murray. I'm going to have a Christmas special. Oh, the power's gone out at this hotel, so now I guess we're not putting on a Christmas special. So I'm just going to hang around this bar, and people are here. Let's just sing some Christmas songs, huh. and that's the special. And uh, that, that that could be charming. Yeah, it was pretty charming. I, I, you know, it's Bill Murray. You know, not a great singer, but he can sing pretty decently. And he and Paul Schaefer put on some fun musical numbers and with some other guests. So I recommend it. Uh, what did I, oh god, I watched some bad movies and some good ones too. Uh, the movie Why Him, James Franco and Brian Cranston. Did you yeah. see the trailer for that? Yeah. Uh, if you saw the trailer, you saw the movie. I don't know what else to say about that. Not very good. Um, I hope you guys enjoy your paychecks. Yeah. I'll go back to Star Wars. I rewatched Force Awakens okay. for the first time in a year and uh, watched it with Rift Tracks. That was kind of fun. Cool. Uh, there actually there were two lines I really remembered well like yeah. there are very funny lines that i'd like to quote uh like there's one part where um upon first seeing snoke uh mike says i wonder what made the lincoln memorial turn to the dark side yeah. 
And then there's that moment where Kyle Ren is trying to use the force to get the lightsaber out of the snow in that final fight. Yeah. And one of the guys is just like, oh, walk the 15 steps and go get it. <laughs> I gotta say, if I could move things best by stretching out my hand, I would never get up out of my seat. It would make you a I little just complacent. Like, remote. Chips. Yeah. The, the force is like kind of a lazy enabler. Well, a little bit. Yeah, um, I enjoyed The Force Awakens. I still do. Even though it is just taking parts from... It's it's like if somebody decided to make their own car and they just take parts from every other car that's in the shop. But it still has some personality and charm to it. I like it better than Rogue One, so there we go. I do too, even though, again, it's... Force Awakens, not at all a perfect film, not even a great movie. Um, but I still enjoy it for the characters, most of all. Okay. I think that it has mostly good characters. Yeah. Um, most of all, Finn and Han Solo. I just liked seeing Harrison Ford's Han Solo again. It just made me feel warm inside. Hmm. Uh, just a few more warm movies Warm inside, mention. like a dead tauntaun. I thought these things smelled bad on the outside. No. Uh, Two of the best movies of the year check out, uh, La La Land and Jackie. Uh, La La Land is a throwback to musicals of the 50s and even the jazz in, new, in a way. Uh, it was by the guy that did Whiplash. Um, not as much of a, uh, oh my god, this movie's so intense kind of movie like Whiplash, but it has that same energy. Good. So if you love musicals, um, La La Land will take you back to that. There was one moment where I kind of teared up, which... That was nice. Uh, like a man? Yeah, I think a man can feel that way. I mean, there are some familiar mo elements in it. There's the whole thing of, like, am I, I'm an artist. Am I going to sell out? Uh, <laughs> that was something that bothered Corey when we saw the movie. Done. Yeah, but it, it made sense in the scope of the movie. It was also very authentic to the world of acting. Uh, Jackie is... Uh, the Jackie Chan biopic. No, actually, but no, Jackie Kennedy Onassis. Oh, okay. But the thing about this that was so interesting, and why at some point you might want to check it out, it's produced by Darren Aronofsky, but it looks like a Darren Aronofsky movie huh. in a way. It looks a lot like Black Swan in some ways. And Natalie Portman is Jackie K. Onassis. I don't know if it's Jackie Onassis Kennedy or... No, it's Jackie, Jackie O. Let's just call her Jackie Fine. O. Yeah. Um, the whole movie is, it's told a little bit out of order. It's around, uh... No. What? What's a terrible idea? All right, go ahead. A buddy movie called Jackie and Jackie, where, Jack, where Jackie Kennedy and Jackie Chan team up. <laughs> <laughs> it's the stupidest idea ever. And you know what? We'll break, we'll use our CGI technology to bring back Jackie O from the 60s and Jackie Chan from the 80s. Not Jackie Chan as he is now. We'll Jackie him... Chan is like the, is like, he's like the, the muscle where he fights, but ah. Jacqueline Kennedy is like the society person who gets him into like the secret locations. And she's constantly like, oh, Jackie. And he's like, oh, I... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's constantly like, and he's constantly doing wins. like crazy stunts. Yeah. <laughs> Go write this movie. This, um, yeah, maybe this isn't as terrible as I thought. <laughs> <laughs> it could be... Because buddy films are all about the mismatch. What is more mismatched than Jacqueline Kennedy and Jackie Chan? Yeah, it could be a Except little... Except, like, Bill Cosby and Hitler. You know. 
Okay. That's, that's a, a weird matchup. That's a whose line is it anyway reference. If you got it, you get a thousand points. <laughs> we at the Ladies of Cinema are monitoring all your points, so make sure you tally that. Right. Um, no, Jackie is interesting because it's all set. It's all really about politics in a way, even though it's about the first lady. It's it's set mostly in the days right after uh, Kennedy was shot. Uh, and they even have it, the recreation of it in the movie, which is a little disturbing to see. Uh, like, you even have, like, Jackie O, like, crying and, like, you know, peeling off her clothes from, like, after the assassination. It's a very disturbing movie. It's almost more about grief than anything else, though. That's what really affected me. It really is People... less... It tries to take away... It tries to deconstruct the whole Kennedy myth, the whole yeah. idea that, like, here's this person that people loved so much and, you know, did all these great things, but did he really? Well, you know, it's like, it's kind of like I... a question that the movie even brings up. Like, Bobby Kennedy at one point turns to Jackie Onassis and he's like, what did we do? You know, <laughs> what did we actually do in our presidency? Like, you look at Lincoln and he freed the slaves and did all this. What did we do, Cuba? Yeah. But you're about to say something, I'm sorry. But what people don't realize is that really Kennedy's assassination really messed up Jacqueline Kennedy. Oh yeah. She she genuinely had post traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, that's what and, the movie shows. And um and the problem was is that she was just such a such a publicly beloved figure yeah. that she had trouble mourning because she was just so out in the open. Yeah. I mean it's almost like she couldn't be vulnerable. But she needed to be vulnerable in order to get past it. And yeah. it's, it's you know, say what you will about John F. Kennedy and his death. I mean, people really suffered because of it. Yeah. Especially of his wife. Yeah. Well, there, it, again, the, the, the strength of the movie is that it, it's, again, it, it looks more about what, what was this woman really feeling? And, you know, take aside the whole aspect oh she's the first lady you know she's someone who watched her husband get shot right in front of her in one of the most graphic ways possible yes and it's kind of interesting because in the moment it makes you want to it makes you want to slap jim garrison in the face (laughs) yeah no this is not necessarily a good movie to pair up with jfk i will admit that no um but on its own easily natalie portman's best performance of her whole career wow she is stunning in this movie because you know it's almost just a lot about how she's trying to compose herself and you could just see her almost sometimes bursting at the seams uh there are times where john hurts this priest and he's trying to give her like words of comfort and it's just kind of very empty words in some ways and it's very interesting to see that um so if you're interested in a very different kind of biopic one that's more intense and Again, not about a whole life, just about this one moment in time and how the media and public perception was a big part of it. The fact that even though her, even though it was days after he had been shot, she was very carefully trying to figure out, okay, are we going to have this full motorcade go through Washington or, or are we not? You know, what's, oh no, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald just got shot. What's going to happen? Like, do we even do this? What if, you know, I get shot if I go out there, uh, you know, things are really dangerous. Um, so about, in a way, it goes back to the whole controver- supposed controversy that came out early this year in actual politics, 
where you know Hillary Clinton said, you know, well, you have a public side and a private side. And she got in trouble for that, even though it's true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, by the basic rules of human conduct. Yes. <laughs> if you're a politician, you have a public persona and a private persona. That's just how it is. Especially if you're John F. Kennedy and you yeah. have affairs while you're the president. Yeah. You know, you, you have the whole Camelot thing, too. Yeah. Um, uh, if you like the musical Camelot, that the song is played a couple times. Um, and... Uh, yeah, and, oh, I had a Gremlins double feature. That cool. was fun. Cool. And, uh, what else? One more movie to talk about, and then we'll call it a day. Oh, I watched London Has Fallen. Really? Oh, God. You know what? I have wanted, just out of curiosity, to see Olympus Has Fallen, uh, White House Down, and London Has Fallen. <laughs> because I feel like... Well, I, I feel like I could be self indulgent for maybe like a day or two days and just kind of let loose and see what this is all about. Well, what, what, what would you think they're all about? It's it, Olympus has fallen, White House down are close to being the same movie. Yeah, but I, I, what I actually remember from the trailers is that White House down actually seemed more promising. Well, I don't know. Uh, it's tough to call it because White House down. I mean, it's directed by Roland Emmerich, so it it. You could feel a little bit more of his hacky touch to it. But it's kind of fun seeing Channing Tatum and Jamie Foxx paired together. Yeah. I mean, uh, that... If you're looking more for straight action, Olympus Has Fallen is a little better. But, uh, I don't know. It's it's very close in some ways. Sequel, uh, number three, Earth Has Fallen. Oh, God. Well, they are making a third one, which Aliens! is terrible. Well, London Has Fallen is actually, it's it's dumb. It oh. is so dumb. From this... what I thought you were going to say, dark, but no, dumb. No, like we, I, I, I wanted to put this on just to kind of have like a laugh and, you know, see if I might have some fun. There is some really like, I, I, you know, by myself watching this movie, yelling at the screen, what? <laughs> <laughs> There's a moment where, where Morgan Freeman's in the movie and just like in the first movie, he's in both movies. He's supposed to be the vice president. But, of course, you know, in this era, in this moment of crisis where President Aaron Eckhart's in danger, he becomes the de facto president, sort of. He, he talks about the main terrorist bad guy in the film, and he says, with a straight face, this man has killed more people than the plague. What? D yeah! <laughs> that's, not even, that's not even good hyperbole. No, it's not! Uh, like... How many millions of people died in the plague? Well, I mean, if we're gonna get technical, but I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, How that's... about like th this man is this man has killed more people than the Spanish flu? <laughs> well, that's not bad. I mean, it's still it's still it's a little it, more specific. It, it's it's a little better. Than it's that. just this movie is sheer insanity. Like I almost thought maybe at one point that because the director of this movie, I thought maybe this is supposed to be a satire of these kind of dumb red-blooded like stallone type movies like this should have been a rambo movie it's mm. that violent and don't give a damn about it but i think that he like but then i looked up this guy's credits he was an iranian director and then i realized no no this guy's just made direct video crap he just uh like there, there's no sign of that he's just a hired gun here to make sure that gerard butler kills a lot of brown people mm. Because it's it's so dumb. Number four, the Milky Way has fallen. 
<laughs> We're being it, invaded by the Andromeda Galaxy. Like, if if this if this had been a machete movie, it might have actually it, maybe it would have been acceptable. Yeah. Let me put it that way. It it's not very funny either. Some of it. After a certain point, it also becomes boring to watch somebody get shot over and over again. This sound, you know, what this sounds an awful lot like. Yeah. This sounds like my experience with Transformers movies. Hmm. The first two thirds, I'm doing what you're doing. I'm shouting at the television, asking it questions <laughs> that it refuses to answer. And then in the third, I'm just beaten down. I'm beaten down. I've lost by attrition, and I'm just like, okay, get it over with. Yeah, and just do it. Yeah, pretty much that. So, London has fallen. Um, London if... fallen to the far away. Alright. Now, that wasn't bad. Uh, you were tried. You tried. I tried harder than the screenwriter. Oh! Yes, you did. Uh, if right. you've seen any of these movies and have any comments or questions, send it to wagesofcinema at gmail.com, facebook.com slash wagesofcinema, or Twitter at wagesofcinema. When we come back, you heard my essay about vertigo now it's time for andrew to give his point of view on vertigo 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 uh, well no it's only twice oh because two sides to every vertigo what i don't know i was just trying to <laughs> you know the things are double in the vertigo universe oh, yeah, okay, okay. Twi- all right sorry yeah, that makes all right sense. everybody stay tuned the toast <laughs> to my big brother george the richest man in town <laughs> Christmas present from a very dear friend of mine. Look, Daddy, teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. That's right. That's right. Attaboy, Clarence. 